Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday evening, and I'm hoping to do the Pasha this week, Lechel is such a gigantic Pasha, 50, 60 episodes. And I'm sure whatever I say today, I'll think of something different later in the week. But anyway, I have my grandson's Bar Mitzvah to Shabbos, so I'll have to think of something for that as well. But meanwhile, let me do this today. Uh, get early in the week so people have time to cogitate. Uh, Lechel is so full of stuff, and I'm just here an idea or two that's coming at me. I look at it this year. It's probably this year. Uh, today's uh, podcast is being sponsored once again by uh, Jacob Blumenfeld and family. Thank you very much. And honor of his grandparents, Ruben Leibben Mayer and Ethel Basavra. And uh, thank the Blumenfeld family for that. And hope we'll all have a chance to do this in the future. Let's take a look at Lech Lecha, or better yet, don't look at Parsha itself. Let's look in a general way. I'll tell you what struck my attention. I fancy. Uh, that's Lot. Understand? Lot. He comes across as a funny character. Uh, the relationships here are strange or confused. But Lot is the ancestor of the Mashiach. That's the, that's the weird part. Now, Lot, which generic make means cursed once. I don't know if that's the real name, but that's a didactic nickname. I've told you before. Sometimes in the Bible, it's the names are didactic to tell to tell you something about the person. But um, we don't know about Lot and his daughters till next week's parsha. What's going on over here? I think there's something interesting about Abram altogether, and it's very uh, uh, striking. Avram, of course, emerges as the first big missionary or kiruv person. After all, how did, why, how did they contrast Noah versus Avram? They said, oh, Noah couldn't pursue anybody. Avram could turn the whole thing around. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Noah was not, Avram was a dynamic individual. And of course, they have in mind, as we all know, as a nefesh, that Avram made converts, and Sar made converts. And there are many stories in the Chazal that we all heard of since we are kids. Um, you say, the big tent, and people will come in and give them a meal and use the meal in the best Chabad style to, you know, eventually hook the person. Now, and that's how he made, you know, uh, monotheists. And if you go like the Rambam's famous de- description, I'm sure I've done it in the past, it's the Rambam in Hilchus of Odezor. Uh, he says that by the time Abraham was finished, he had an Uma. You know, a nation knows a large group. Now, the Abraham converts eventually withered away under the stress of the Egyptian exile in the time of, you know, Shmos. But prior to that, there was a large group of Abraham guys. And this would separate Abraham out from, you know, uh, Noah. So that's how we think of Abraham. <clears throat> but it's not fair exactly. 
That's Avram as he emerged. By the time he finished his evolution, his full development. The guy lived to be 175. And as is the case with many famous and great people, the second half of their life is more important than the first half in the sense of their of their historical importance. Accomplishment. The people in history only became Chashev in their 60s, things like that. Their presidents like that. Truman comes to mind. He's a garnish till he hit 60 and became president. They became a big deal. Now, in the case of Avram, so much of this is obscure agatitas and ancient stories they're not 100% clear to us. Like, as you know, doesn't say in the Chumash anything about Avram and the fiery furnace, although it's a very well-known story. And it's in the Drush and the Gemara. It was prior to the Gemara in the uh, Second Temple in Apocryphal literature and things like that. You know about this. Um, what is the relationship of Avram and his brother? Well, let, let me rephrase that. In this week's Parsha, as we all know, Hashem says, get out of there and move to Canaan. Um, leave your father's house. Why? Why? Um, the Pashim shot, as I've always understood it, is like this. You ain't going to be nothing over there. You will not be successful in your Kiruv. But if you move to an entirely different neighborhood, where there are different circumstances, then you will be successful in your Kiruv. Your Kiruv. Which is very interesting. A guy could be, let's say, for example, in Muncie. And in Muncie, he's not going to be successful in Kiruv. But then he might end up with some situation in Texas. And there, the circumstances are different. And he'll be successful over there. It's the same guy. Yeah, but it's a different climate. It's a different geography. It's a different type of balabas. And it's a different story. So it seems, as far as we can tell, as far as I'm concerned, Avram was well-known in Orkazdim, but he wasn't wasn't Mashpi over here. If anything, the other way around. The Chazal kind of debate when Avram became from, if I can use that term. And by the time it's over, you're looking at the age of 48. And best as I can put together all the different opinions, you'd see that Avram from a very early age, three, four years old, already had cautious problems with the belief system of the Bodhisattva. But he went to church. He did his Bodhisattva until he had 48 and he said, this is it. I, I've had all I can have. I can't do anymore. And he was lucky enough to have a girl who agreed with him, his wife, Sarah. Because after all, had Avram had a different wife, life would have been very different, possibly. It's very interesting. This is the reason the Torah talks so much about Sarah. Because you can't imagine Avram engaging his quest and his new derech in life unless he had the backing of his wife. Which is just interesting because why would she be like that? Now, what's the relationship of Abram and Sarah? His uncle and an aunt. Uh, Sarah is the daughter of Haran, right? I think so. Haran is that brother who died in Haran. Haran died in Haran. The famous story... Is in the Medrash, I know it's in the Targum, and as they say in the Apocryphal literature, Avram jumped in the furnace and was saved. Haran was not saved and was killed. Usually, the way we understand it is Haran was playing the main chance. He says, If Avram survives, then I believe it. If not, I don't. That's not called having a Muna 
Peshuta. Avram jumped in the furnace or was willing to let himself be put in the furnace. Uh, and Munip Shuta. No, so if I die, I die. Haran was already figuring, well, I'm not going to die. So that's not a real martyrdom. It's not real mysterious nevish. And it's okay with me, but it wasn't okay for Hashem, but therefore he killed him. So Avram had a brother who he was semi mashpion. Interesting, right? The three brothers, Avram, Nachar, and Haran. And in Orkazdim, where Nimrod is, Avram was, you know, the stories are that he was in prison and this and the other. He wasn't so impressive. I mean, he wasn't so persuasive. But when he moves elsewhere, then the story will change. And indeed, as soon as he leaves Orkazdim, we start to hear about Hanefesh also Bechoran. Bechoran is far away from Orkazdim. Orkazdim, if you look at the old maps, will be roughly, not exactly, but somewhere in the area of Kuwait. You and I come from somewhere in the area of Kuwait or north of that. Haqqaran should be somewhere around Mosul in the area of Kurdistan, I believe. Mamash where the ISIS is today. And, uh, you know, Canaan, of course, is Israel. So, when Avram departs or Kazdim and leaves the country, all of a sudden, his approach gets takers. As a matter of fact, Avram Megayrus Ha'anoshim, sorry, Megayrus Ha'anoshim, not back home, but in Kazim. I mean in Kharn, and then in Canaan. So that's very interesting. Um, Avram and Sarah prepared to work as a team, but not back there where everybody knows them. Okay? I speculated in the past that maybe it's because Avram and Sarah were childless. That made you a loser in that society. They say that when Avram was about 48 years old, he built the Tower of Bubble, and Avram protested against it. They said, what do you know? You're a child, you're a parrot, you're a mule, which has no children. Now, childness does not have anything to do with IQ, but, you know, it's an ad hominem attack. And those are usually very successful in mob situations. Right? So I'm arguing one thing you're arguing, they'll say, yeah, what do you know? You're fat and ugly. Fat and ugly has nothing to do with whether a person's right or wrong. It's the strength of the argument. Or the proof. But, you know, anyone who's ever been in school knows. But it, <laughs> it does have to do with the argument. If this girl can get the other girls in fat and ugly, then she lost. That's that's the world. It shouldn't be, but that's the way it is. And so, you have a situation where back in work costume, it wasn't so successful. Later on, it will be. Haran, let me put it this way. Avram was not able to persuade his father to change back in work costume. He wasn't able to persuade others, but he was somehow or other, or partially able to persuade Haran if it got to a situation where Haran was willing to jump into the furnace. So in other words, and it's it's hard for me to bring clarity to this because there are so many versions of this story in ancient texts, ancient targums. There really are. Most people don't know that. There's th- things written thousands of years ago talk about this, but in different ways. But the bottom line is, it's Avram and Haran, and Sarah in the background. So it's just interesting. It's a, it's, it's a man, his brother, and his niece, who's his wife. Does that make sense? There's Abraham, there's Haran, and Sarah, who's the daughter of Haran and the wife of Abraham. I'm married his niece. You know, you're allowed to marry your niece. 
So, um, is that shot that Sarah was much be on her father? Uh, or was it the other way around? We'll never know. One would like to think, if you were making the story up and trying to conform it to the scanty sources that we have, do you have a situation where this guy, Avram, who was a what's the word, nonconformist, disagreed with everybody else about the idols? He ends up marrying his niece. By the way, these are all rich people. So, you know, they're all in a wealthy business. And, you know, cattle and so forth. And he marries his niece. And he shares with her his ideas about the falsity of Davod And she shepherds her father. They say, you know, my husband is really right. I'm sure he had a lot of family scenes over there. And remember, Avon wasn't 100% sure in his own mind until he's almost 50 years old. So let's understand that here's Abraham at the age of 20, let's say, or 25. He's still participating in family rituals. For all I know, he's shechting children. I mean, who knows what those crazy people did in Orkazim? Time of Nimrod. All kind of weird ceremonies. And Avram's going along. He is shyless. He is cautious. I got news for you. There's plenty of front Jews now walking in Shul and Inside they got cautious. And they don't talk about it. Inside they got cautious. And shyless. The Avram was all the way around the Bodhisattva. Little by little, it seems, by the time he gets to 48, he says, listen, I can't put up pretense anymore, and this is all bogus. There's only one God, and the rest is bogus. Okay, that's the story. Where was Sarah all during this time? She was married to him for a very young age. And, you know, you have a cozy little situation. Her father is, is you know, Avram's brother. So no, there's a lot of family get-togethers. And, you know, she buys in Avram's ideas. Because that's who Sorry Moshe says. So, um, matter of fact, you know, later when Hashem says, She too gets Ruch Meaning, she thought for herself as well. I'm sure that she and her husband, I mean, it must have been very interesting for this young couple, 10, 15, 20 years old, married, and you're talking religion, you know, Avram and Sarah, and she is mashpiyat to some degree on her father. Ad kadekach, that the father is willing to go no extra mile and state with Avram that there's one God until Nimrod burns them both and Horan gets killed in that process. But there's a son named Lot. So now we have like a, as I always say, got a miniseries. You got Abraham, you got Horan, and Horan's got two kids, at least. One is the girl married to Abraham, and the other is her brother named Lot. Haran then perishes. And after that, Am says, let's get the heck out of here. You know, Josephus um, wrote his book long before the Mishnah. And it's very interesting because here's a Jewish guy, at least, writing, coming, writing for the guy in a short version of the biblical story. And sometimes he touches up and changes it a little bit. And it's not easy to tell if he's just shooting the bull or he's backing on some tradition, some chazal, as we would say today. 
Sometimes you'll find the receipt for something that later on appears in Chazal, even though the receipt was read much earlier. It's a Messiah. And sometimes not, in which he's just shooting the ball. Because uh, he wouldn't be a good writer. So if you look in Sivis' story, there used to be a professor at YU, uh, Louis Feldman. He wrote endless articles. Very good one, too. On, you know, the Abraham story, the Isaac story, the Joseph story from Josephus and all that. I didn't read him, but I know he knows his stuff. He was a, I've heard him several times. He was a, he was a good fellow. And you can be mine in this. And I happen to see that it says there that when Haran dies, Terach uh, obsessed over this death. After all, his son was burned. And because of his uh, depression, hey, let me let me get to Joseph here. It's just inter- I just just one line. He says something about. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, here it is. That you know, all it says is that Haran died. Doesn't say the story, and Joseph is about the uh, fiery furnace. Terah hating Chaldea on account of his mourning for his son. They all removed to Haran of Mesopotamia, where Terach died. So in other words, the death of his son is what persuaded Terach to get out of here. So that's not the Lech Lecha, or maybe it is. You know, is it Lech Lecha from, from Haran? Lech from Urkazim? You know, before I'm all over the place and stuff. But he says, the death, let me put it this way. If Haran had not died... Maybe Avram wouldn't leave because he wouldn't leave without his father, and this way the father's willing to go. And so he departs from Urkazim never to return. But he still has some family members with him, namely Haran's son, who is from the old country, from Urkazim. Now, is he going to be somebody who's going to be persuaded by Avram and be Makarev to buy him? Or is he going to be like the other family members back in Orkazim who think that Abraham is nuts? A dangerous lunatic. His father's dead, but Haran took over the, I mean, Lot took over the business. And as we know, when you get to Parshat Lech Lecha, Lot does well. Now, you can be very firm and simply say, because he was associated with Avram, he got a bracha. Economically. I got no problem with that. But, it's also possible that he was good in business. And as the famous story goes, Rashi says, Lot figured Avram and Sarah don't have any kids, I'll take over. And so you have a very interesting situation in which, you know, because that was the argument about the camels, right? The shepherds. So, according to Rashi, anyway, uh, I'll take over. So you have Abram, who's not a young man, is running back and forth to Canaan, and Mitzrayim and all that stuff. I won't go into the chronology. I did that last year. And you got this guy, Lod, who's sort of tagging along. And Lod is doing is, is doing well in business as well. And Lod figures he'll be the successor of Avram. He is the son of Avram's brother. Uh, who else will take over if not Lod? Lod knows about the monotheistic idea. Right? I mean, that's the whole point. Um, but how does he react towards Abraham? When there's a fight. What I'm trying to get at is 
sometimes you can tell who people are when they get real rich. Because then, it's like getting drunk. All the inhibitions go. If I'm poor, a regular schnook, I, I follow the conventional lives of society, pleasantries, because I don't want to make enemies. A smart person goes around and just you know, nods his head and avoids fights. Plenty of mess they are. You don't need more. But a person all of a sudden becomes rich. It's an insight because now you have the opportunity, if you feel like, to tell the guy who just insulted you, drop dead, baby. There's no, nothing preventing me from saying that. I'm not scared of you anymore. I'll use American language. If I get rich enough, they're not going to kick my kid out of school. <laughs> so I can tell the school whatever I think. You see? Because if the school kicks my kid out, I'll get together with another guy who will make our own school. By the way, I myself know a case or two like that. And you know something? So do you. So, Lot gets rich. And then it seems the inhibitions, which kind of, you know, stopped him from acting in a not great way, come off. And he gets to see like the real Lot. The father was opportunistic. At least that's why they say he perished in the furnace. He was waiting to see if Robin would make it or not. That's a certain opportunism. That's not what we call Amuna. Avram was peddling Amuna. I'm not sure if Lot could see that or not. It's not clear. We don't know how much Lot, you know, um, uh, learned from Avram, picked up from Avram. But to be perfectly fair, if Haran died and Lot went along with him, who gave Lot his start in business? It had to be Avram. So it doesn't only mean also Lot, but you know, Lot got it through Abraham connections. This seems to have ticked him off. Um, ticked him off. Because so, if you have a Hasidic mentality, then you say like this, I don't mind spending my whole life near the Rebbe. Everything I get is through him. And I'll be perfectly happy to be called a chassid of this Rebbe. But if you don't have that mentality, you say, I don't want to be this guy's hand growing all my life. I'm a number two, a number three. I want to be a number one. That makes sense. Especially when somebody gets rich. So, you know, you start to tell yourself, I didn't get this money because people had pity on me and gave me, cut me in on good business deals because I'm relatives with Abraham. I did this on my own. Kochi Rotsim Yoli. It's seen that Lut starts to feel this way. Because it says, by he reeve bain roe, mikni avra main roe, mikni lot. Quarrels broke out. Rashi says quarrels broke out because Lot, you know, they felt they could graze and all that. But the Pashim shot is quarrels broke out simply because now you have two. Um, Two uh, rich guys. They have a lot of cattle. There's not enough land. And the question, you know, for the grazing, and the question is, what do you do about it? He read, Vain Roy, make me up, Vain Roy, make a Means, you know, they had their, they couldn't divide their resources to accommodate both flocks of cattle, flocks of sheep. And this was a Chil Hashem. 
What I mean by that is, this got on the news, on the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, scandal shows. At least that's how many of them, unfortunately, say so. They learn how Kanani Apriza Osba Oritz doesn't simply mean that the Kanani Apriza had most of the land, which is certainly a good shot. But also, the Kanani and the Apriza overheard all the fights with Abraham and his nephew. Sir Avram is trying to come across as a missionary type. The success of Avram is based on his public image. I want you to understand that. The success of Avram is based on how people perceived him. And he's quite aware of that. And therefore, Avram realized when he comes to Israel, he has to carry himself in a certain way. He has to conduct himself in a certain way. And to use American language, you have to be classy. If you come across as a classy guy, people will be impressed. That's always the way it is in life. If you come across just as some rich yucks, the world is full of those people. They're not particularly admirable. I may kiss up to them because I want money out of them. That's not, I don't even admire them. If Ivan wants to persuade people to get out of idolatry and switch to something radically new, people have to say, he's not crazy. As a matter of fact, he's a chashua guy. Kosh he's a classy guy. Look how he conducts himself. The guy's loaded, but instead of saying, kiss my hand, kiss my this, kiss my that, whatever part of the body you want, Avram says, let me get you a meal. You know? He's shown to like he says to the three angels, let me take care of you. People say, I guess, look, God looked at his all these servants, and he wants to take care of me. He's a very classy, that's a class act, as we say today. You took off from your time, to worry about little nothing me, that's a class act. And Sarah means a class act, because Sarah means a princess. Sarah and Sarah. So she was a class act. And then you got, so what's messing that image is, look, also they hear that people are fighting over the cattle, and the grazes, and all this stuff. And Avram basically says like this, this is going to mess up my whole program. I came to this country not to make money so much as to make nefashos. That's why Hashem told me to come here. And now we're going to get arguing over the, the, the checkbook, over the bank account, over the grass, over the cattle. And that's why he says to Lot, let's get out of here. You go one way, I'll go the other. If Lot would have had any class, the Barbanel says this, by the way, if Lot would have had any class, Lot would say, I guess, okay, I hear, we have to get to different grazing areas. That makes sense. Avram, you choose. After all, you're my patron. You're older. You're carrying the flag of monotheism. You go first. Instead, it says, immediately it says, I'll do Sodom. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's like, guy buys the uh, a bunch of esterics for his kids for circus. He comes home, he tells them one, pick one. You know, choose, choose the one you want. The class of your kid is like this. I'll let someone else have the extra special one. Any of these esterics are nice because I'm sure you picked kosher ones. But the person who's a real low life, he's a, he immediately grabbed the best esterics and the heck with the others. And he's thinking for himself. And Lode immediately says, ah, oh, take the Kula Mashka and all the rest of it. He didn't care about the Avram part. He showed himself to be a, a lowlife. 
And Lot is happy in moving away from Avram because now he'll make his own fortune and can show off what he really is made out of. The joke, of course, is shortly thereafterwards, they get sacked by Kedar Lomer and Avram has to really save his tail and bring back Lot naked. And Avram basically has to say, uh, here's, <laughs> here's your cattle bag. <laughs> you know? Right. Here's a loan, interest-free loan to get you back on your feet. Which means Lot cannot escape his dependency in Avram. And so it's a very interesting dynamic, it seems to me, that comes in this parsha. After this, Achari, he parted Lot Mimo, Avram finally realizes there's no future in Lot. And then he says to Hashem, I have no successor. Uh, he'd been Ariri until now. But it looks like he figured it would be Lot. You know? And he says, the only thing I got now is Eliezer. Not even a relative. He's not even a relative. I heard a word the other day at a Shabrachas. But Moshe Shulman made, made me think a little bit. Uh, along the following lines. What, Avram wasn't childless until then? But, you know, back in Ur-Kasim, if you have a very materialistic society, you're not interested in kids. That's why we see nowadays, in fully developed Western societies, very little children, zero population growth. The great irony is that the white European races created the modern technological society, but they're dying out. As the third world people are coming in to take their place, because the third world people have a lot of kids. That's considered a big negative if you have a large family. That's why from Jews know they have in the workplace. Nobody said, you have so many children, you know? It's really a marker of going against contemporary values. And, you know, believe me, in a college, you don't go around telling how many children you have. It's funny. And the reason is, of course, kids do mess up your olam hazard. There's no question about it. The person who says, I can spend all my time planning my next vacation and take care of myself every week and not have to worry literally about anybody else, I mean, that's the best. It's zich. It's yourself. You're here. You're focused on your own hedonism. And, you know, it doesn't get better than that. What do you need children for? Now, there are t- two general reasons for going to the trouble of raising children. There are probably more than two, but I can think of two. One is a materialistic one. The one's an idealistic one. The materialistic one is very interesting. <laughs> and Shlomo talks about this. I worked my whole life and busted my guts to put together a great fortune. I don't want it to all fall apart. The pistol wins once I'm gone. I don't want Uncle Sam to take it in the form of taxes. And so the closest you can do to taking it with you, <laughs> short of burying you a Bronx a, a Bronx a truck in your in your grave, the best way you can take it with you, because you know you're gonna die, is to leave it behind your kids. So you fool yourself in some way saying, I'm gone, but it's still in my grasp. It's a materialistic thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm gone, but my progeny has it. The children. 
who you're a shechok. That's a major reason why people have their children on the selfish end. But there's also, and much more rarely, the idealists again. I have a grand quest, a grand project, and I want I don't want this project to die with me. I'm an idealist. So I want my kids to pick up the ball and carry it forward. I wasn't able to find a way to bring peace to the human race. But I'm encouraging my children to go into that derech and they'll find a way to bring peace to the human race. Or a cancer researcher says, researcher says, I wasn't able during my career to do so, but I hope my kids after me will be able to do so. In the case of Avram, he used to be a businessman living in Wisconsin. I don't know if they had kids or not. You know? We know in the time of Noah, nobody wanted to have children. That's a famous civil war. For the reason I just said. Everybody was self-centered. Um, you know, you never have to do any diapers. You never have to wake up in the night. No, that kind of life. Avram now says to God, he said, listen, you told me to leave the country and move elsewhere. And I did. But now I have to think of grand purpose, a grand quest. I want a child to carry on after me. Lot ain't got the what it takes to do it. And then everything develops from that. So Achra, he poured Lot After his disillusion was Lot, once and for all, you know, he starts to think of something, that the successor. It still leaves a funny business. But why it turns out that Lot becomes the ancestor of the Mashiach. Because Lot's daughter is Moab, and Moab is Ruth, and so forth. You know, I haven't totally worked that out myself. Maybe you'll figure a shot out with that. But, you know, and if you wanted to, I could play the game and say, you know, because he was quiet during the time of Sarah, you know, but you need something better than that, in my opinion. Uh, maybe, after all said and done, you know, uh, Lot had some of Sarah in him, not enough. Some of Haran in him, not enough. Uh, he does act somewhat nobly in, in Sodom, next Parsha, but still comes out looking pretty disgraced. I don't really have a good approach to this now, but obviously if the Torah takes the trouble to talk about him in Lecha and then Vayir, there's got to be something there. But it seems to me and with this, I'll close. Lot still had the old Orkazan business in him. And to some degree, he's going to be cynical about Avram. That's why God said, get out of Orkazan, people cynical about you. You know, when you come to Canaan, they don't know you. In Canaan, Avram was able to build up his image through deeds. Until they said, Nasi Elohim HaTavaz You are one classy dude. It could be Nasi Elohim, Nasi Elohim, either way. Nasi Elohim means you're a, a, a powerful Nasi. Notice, you're one classy guy. Or, um, what do you call it? Or you're a uh, prince of God. Vashem. Either way, that's an acclamation of Abraham being super classy. Okay? You know, the, the Medrash says, one second. You hear this? The Medrash Rabbi says, when um, Avram goes and defeats Kedarl Omer in that gang, people were so impressed. 
All the guys came there, the, the Canaanites. We caught it to Arazim. We also been with Gedola. This is taken from the Roman era. They made a giant platform. And they put Abram on the platform on the throne. And they said, Which means, Now, as you could learn, means like this. You know, in Hebrew grammar, you're a prince of God. Or like the Ghazal are saying, We're not sure whether you're a Nasi or an Elohim. Whereupon Avram, the man who says very piously, said, I'm not a god, I'm not the king of the world, and so forth. But ain't look classy, Gedolim is that. You know, they want to throw everything at your feet. They say, I don't want it, I don't need it. I'm more interested in, in persu- making you understand that there's one God out there than taking advantage of this for my own personal uh, benefit. That's why he says to the king of Sodom, keep your money. I spoke that last year. You know, I don't need your money. The only way you can make a classy impression is if you turn down money. Correct? You could have had you turned the money down. Um, can you ever you've heard of a, of a presidential candidate turning down money? <laughs> Doesn't happen. Right? Um, Lope can't get connected with the classy. That's what it seems. Anyway, these are some thoughts. A part I, I don't think we usually give much thought about in Pasha's Lechacha. And I want to throw that past you. And with that, I wish you a good week. Once again, I want to thank the Blumenfelds. I hope everybody will have a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.